to this edition of Back to Basics with guest pastor Char Broderson. You think about what has gone on in the Me Too movement and how this has gone almost systematically throughout society, critiquing the power structures that be and the abuses that have come from these power structures. We're looking for a theology of power. Can someone show us power that is used for good? We have it. It's a theology of the cross. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, in a message titled, The Wisdom and the Power of the Cross. And now, here's Pastor Char. My name is Char. I am one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And we are teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians here on Sunday mornings with the theme of everyday discipleship. I think as we read through and listen to our text, it's good for us to remind ourselves that this was a letter written to a local church. It was written to a church who lived in the midst of the Roman Empire. And so just like any church at any time in any place, there were victories. There were also defeats. There were clear signs that God and his kingdom were at work among them. But there were also glaring inconsistencies and evidences just of the deep roots of the pagan culture from which they came. And we see that clearly in this letter. Paul, he was the one who planted this church in Corinth. And, you know, there's one part where he talks about, you are my boast in the gospel. They're like his crown jewel, uh, the church that he labored for and invested so much in. We know that he probably wrote something like four or five letters to the Corinthian church. But even though Paul, this incredible follower of Jesus, apostle of Jesus Christ, even though Paul planted this church, it seems that the Corinthians misunderstood almost everything Paul taught them. Can you imagine like what a blow that would be? (laughs) The apostle Paul investing a year and a half into this church, multiple letters, and every time he's just like, Corinthians, like what happened? Managed to just misunderstand and twist so many of the things that Paul taught them And not only taught them, but lived out before them. So it had been reported to Paul by the household of Chloe, who's a friend of Paul and a friend of the local church there in Corinth, that there were all sorts of issues going on in the church at Corinth. Corinth, the church in Corinth was in utter chaos, right? We're told about social, spiritual, and sexual problems, just to name a few. And members in this congregation were pitting against one another, pitting the congregation against Paul. And so Paul writes to them to to correct these things. And I think sometimes reading through this letter, it almost feels like a laundry list. Like Paul's just kind of going down the list, like a fix-it list. Like, okay, we're going to just fix you and get you right. Though it might feel like that, these were symptoms of a greater disease, You see, the Corinthians had failed to understand the real-life implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is very specific 
It's not that he just proclaimed Jesus, Messiah, Jesus the King, but he preached to them the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. But the Corinthian believers had failed to realize, again, the real-life implications of what it means that Christ the King was crucified, that he became weak, that he was poor, that he was put to death. So the community of believers in Corinth were not reflecting the values, practices, and culture of the kingdom of God and its King Jesus, but instead were reflecting the values, mores, and habits of the culture of the day. And so Paul, you know, he wants to get deep down into the roots and he wants to root this out and again to replant, replant this truth of the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I think about as we approach this letter, we don't have the exact issues going on in our church or in our, in our culture that Corinth had. But Leslie Newbegin, he wisely said this, the choice for the church in every age will always be, will our identity be shaped by scripture or by our culture, by the biblical story or the cultural story? That's the question. What is shaping us? What is forming us? In whose image are we being made? So to the Corinthians factions, to their power plays, to their political positioning, Paul's response is to replace the Corinthian obsession with pagan-style worship and power with a theology of the cross. And he's going to expose human pretensions to greatness and knowledge as foolishness. Now, instead of going verse by verse through our passage, which we've been doing for the past weeks, we're going to just instead talk through two things. We're going to consider the use and abuse of wisdom and power that we see in the world and in the church, and then we're going to talk about God's wisdom and power through the cross and what God calls us to. So let's do that, right? The use and abuse of wisdom and power. So Paul, he's looking at what is going on in the Corinthian church and he sees all of the discord and the pride. This is just a natural result of where human wisdom and power always lead. To, power, to pride, to division and oppression. And this is radically different from the wisdom and power of Jesus Christ that he proclaimed and portrayed, he says, before them. See, when Paul preached the good news of Jesus to the Corinthians, it was not another philosophical idea to pontificate. It wasn't a different way to get power and dominance over one another. It was actually a radical rebuke to human selfish ambition and human pride. I think Paul is really looking at the Corinthians and saying, you are after the wrong thing. Or, I love this one, this idea, you don't understand what power and wisdom are for. Let's just stop for a second to think about that. What is power for? What are we supposed to do with power? Why has God given this tool to humanity? 
What is wisdom for? What are we supposed to do with it? Why does God give it to us? Human power and human wisdom end up doing what all good things do when we treat them as ends in themselves. They end up turning in on themselves. They become selfish, twisted, and distorted. And as humans use power, we more often than not abuse that power, using it to afflict and oppress others. You might remember that Lord Acton famously said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if we're honest, history is just one tale, one story after another of the abuses of power. But the same is true with wisdom. How often we've used wisdom to throw shade on others. We use it to tear down and destroy our opponents, even in things like apologetics. A defense of the faith, and all we've done is made a mockery of the opponent. We divide the world into the wise and the fools rather than using wisdom to help, to heal, to bring peace and unity, and show by our own lives the good life. This is what wisdom looks like, to incarnate that wisdom. And I believe that by and large, there aren't many differences between the church and the world when it comes to the use of power and wisdom. Because as much as Christians say we love Jesus, that we love and obey scripture, our everyday values, our everyday habits, our goals for our own lives often reflect that of a world that does not know the way of Jesus, does not know life in the power of the Holy Spirit and the hope of the new creation. I mean, just think about what we've seen in recent and past history, not just by Christians, but in the church and Christian leadership. It's because we copy the world when it comes to power. And this has gone on in large churches in our country, churches that claim to be gospel churches, Jesus churches, discipleship-oriented churches, and we see these as abuses of power. Praying upon women who came to them for help. Pastors using their influence to build up their wealth or status, using power for themselves in their inner circle. Church, the world is looking for a theology of power. You think about what has gone on in the Me Too movement and how this has gone almost systematically throughout society, critiquing the power structures that be and the abuses that have come from these power structures. We're looking for a theology of power. Can someone show us power that is used for good? We have it. It's a theology of the cross. We have it, but more often than not, the church and its leaders are failing to give it to the world. This should not be. But see, this is exactly what was going on in Corinth. We are not so different from our brothers and sisters living 2,000 years ago. Paul, he points to Jesus' cross in contrast to the Corinthians' misuse of power and wisdom. He's saying, this is what real power and wisdom looks like. 
it may look like weakness and foolishness in the eyes of the world, Jesus is laying aside his power for the sake of the salvation of the world. And Paul is pointing to the cross and calling the Corinthians and us to the way of the cross, to a cruciform life as a whole lifestyle in stark contrast to the culture of Corinth. Because it's not enough to talk about the cross. It can, like all things, turn into a philosophy that we pontificate but never practice ourselves. The cross of Christ must be put on display through God's people. Remember what Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his or her cross, and follow me. Jesus calls each one of us as his followers to the cruciform way of life. He calls us to put the self-sacrificial, other-focused life on display. And as I said, the Corinthians had failed to see the real-life implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul calls them to this overall way of life. He calls them to die to themselves in the most seemingly insignificant ways. Remember later he'll talk about lawsuits that are going on. And he says something that we think is crazy. Why do you not rather suffer wrong? Like what? Absolutely not, Paul. I'm right. They're in the wrong. But see, again, this is Paul's theology of the cross. To win by losing. To show strength through humility and meekness. And I think so often living in this country of our individual rights, we often find this call to be Jesus' disciples in the cruciform way and the individual rights of us as American citizens bumping up against one another. But again, the question is, will we be shaped by culture or will we be shaped by Scripture? It's only as we live this out in the everyday annoyances and challenges of life, real life, everyday discipleship, Only then will we actually be clued into the way God's wisdom and power works, the way true wisdom and power really work. I think about this in my own marriage. I remember when I got married, I made a vow of love to my wife, Grace. And really what I was declaring there in that moment, you know, for better, for worse, rich or poor, sickness and in health, yada, 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 until death do us part. For me in that moment, what I was really declaring was how I felt about grace in that moment. You know, making a declaration like, babe, I'd die for you. But man, how hard it has been to live for my wife. Right? That's the real stuff. To choose her over myself. That's a struggle, but that's where the rubber meets the road. That's when husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's not just that you take a bullet for your babe. It's that every single day you put her before yourself. That's what we're talking about. 
And yet how we can make it this like ethereal out there. Oh yeah, Jesus and him crucified. Oh no, that is the blood and guts of everyday stuff. That's what we're talking about. And this is what Paul calls us to. This is what Paul is calling the Corinthian church to. And see, this is the way God's wisdom and power actually works. So I think I need to just qualify something. I don't want to be misunderstood. Paul was not down on power and wisdom. I think sometimes the way that we preach 1 Corinthians, or maybe even already you're thinking like, okay, yeah, you know, power bad, weakness good. You know, wisdom bad, foolishness good. It's like, that's not what we're actually talking about here. Paul goes at lengths to show the way humans often misuse these gifts from God. And in my observation, I think Christians often make two missteps when it comes to power. We either wield power the same way the world does, or we refuse it in false humility. We reject it. I think about those who maybe came out of the world and came out of like, you know, just a strong power structure, intimidation, manipulation. But they led these huge businesses, corporations, or, you know, we're doing things, significant things, strong leaders, and yet they come into the church, receive the gospel, and then almost just plateau. Rather, you think about like Paul the apostle and what God did with him. Talks about how he was a radical zealot for the way of the Pharisees, for the way of Phineas, all these things. And yet he meets Jesus the Messiah on the road and he's radically changed, but he goes just as hard now for Jesus as he, even harder than he ever went. Now he does this for Jesus, the Messiah, because he actually sees a bigger vision, a bigger kingdom than the one that he was serving, than the one that he was building. And so I hope even as we talk about true wisdom and true power, that if God has given that to you, given you that opportunity, that you will not reject it, but that you will use it in the way that it was meant to be used. What God wants for us who are in Christ is to learn by Jesus' example to use the gifts that God has given to humanity properly. So how do disciples of Jesus properly use wisdom and power? If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 10. Look at this in just a minute. So in Mark's gospel, we have this incredible story. Remember the brothers James and John, disciples of Jesus, they were seeking authority, power, and greatness from Jesus. They've been following Jesus for, you know, probably two, almost three years at this time. They've seen the miracles that Jesus has done to him, you know, show his power and his goodness. They knew that Jesus was Messiah. And so just like any Jew at that time, they're expecting Jesus eventually to roll into Jerusalem to set up his kingdom in opposition to the Roman kingdom, to throw down the Jewish tyrannical system and all these things, and to set himself up as king. And so they ask, Jesus, when you enter your glory, can we sit on your right and left hand? And so Jesus asks him a series of questions, you know, and then finally he says, actually, sorry, it's already been reserved 
You think, well, who's it been reserved for? What's he talking about? So here's the irony of Mark's gospel. As you get to the end, you realize that the moment that Jesus is exalted, that he's glorified, the moment when Jesus comes into his kingdom is actually on the cross. And guess what? There are two individuals who are on his right and on his left. He says, you don't know, James, you don't know, John, what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I will be baptized? See, Jesus' glory looks radically different from the way that we think of glory. I think of that amazing passage in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, where Isaiah writes, who would have believed that this was the mighty arm of the Lord? You think about that it was the mighty hand of God that brought Israel out of Egypt, that crushed Pharaoh that brought them safely through the waters that crushed their enemies. And yet Isaiah, as he foresees the suffering servant, how could this be the mighty hand of God? And yet this is the moment of all moments when Jesus will be exalted to show what real power, what real wisdom does It is outward-facing, servant-oriented, sacrificial. That's what real power and real wisdom looks like. And this, ladies and gentlemen, yes, this is the mighty hand of God. And so that when God gives power and authority to his people, he expects it to look like Jesus, others-oriented. I love what N.T. Wright says in his commentary, Mark. He says, the cross is where the glory shall be revealed because it is there that God turns worldly power and authority on its head. The cross is God's way of putting the world and ourselves to rights. It challenges and it subverts all the human systems which claim to put the world to right, but in fact only succeed in bringing about suffering death, and a different set of humans on top. How many times have we seen that? Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. We won't get fooled again, right? Think you're Roger Daltrey. Anybody? The who? No? Somebody. But I mean, we've seen this again and again and again, and there at the cross, God turns it all on its head. The cross calls into question all human pride and glory, and it carries radical, dangerous political meaning. This is what true wisdom and power looks like. Now, as the story goes on in Mark, think just a few other things I want to highlight about this. Jesus brings the disciples together, and he speaks once again about what greatness and leadership looks like. Listen to this. Mark 10, 42 through 45, if you have your Bible. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. This is not the way. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even, comparison, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. Does God really exist? And if he does, why is there so much suffering in the world? Doesn't science actually disprove the Bible? So how can we even trust what the Bible says? What proof is there that Jesus really rose from the dead? If you've ever wondered about these questions, then this month's book, Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little, will help you answer these very questions and many others. If you want to wrestle with your own questions or the questions of others about the practical implications of the Christian faith, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from our guest pastor, Char Broderson, as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.